And we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Coming at you from live from Champaign, Illinois, my name is Joel, and this is Dump on the Ump, ostensibly a baseball podcast. And tonight, for a change, we are actually going to talk about baseball. Kind of, kind of. There's going to be a little spin. We're going to throw a curveball at you right now. With me tonight, as per usual, is Sam. Sam, how's it going? Hey, Joel. I'm doing well. I'm coming at you, as per usual, from Brooklyn, New York, where it is fucking hot as shit. Really is it hot? Good. It was yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Brooklyn's still on fire? Yeah, Brooklyn is burning, and it's so humid. Damn. All yeah. right. All right. Well, um, before we get into it, we're going to do something, like I said, a little bit different tonight. I wanted to thank everybody who listened to last week's episode. Last week's episode was called All Owners Suck. We talked about the uh, uh, conflict between the NBA owners and the, I mean, the MLB owners and the MLB Players Association. Thanks for everybody who listened to that. Lou Don, Tennessee, Champaign, Illinois, Barcelona, Spain, Surrey, Canada. Gallatin, Tennessee, Miami, Florida, most field, Massachusetts. Thanks, everybody, for showing up. Remember, you can always listen to us on Apple iTunes. Give us a rating, a review, and a subscription. You can also check us out on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash umpinhemp, or you can check us out on Spotify. Also, be sure to check us out on your favorite social media applications. Those include Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Instagram at dump on the ump. Okay, what we're going to do tonight is the second installment of a series that we're calling Your Owner Sucks. The last installment was about the Cleveland Browns owner Jim Tapper. And tonight we're taking aim at something a little bit closer, at someone a little bit closer to home. Fred Wilpon, owner of the New York Mets, my favorite baseball squadron, the Nine Mets. So, uh, without further ado, well, actually, with one further ado, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to try to post all of our sources for this episode online, but I want you to know that uh, most of our history comes from a New Yorker article from 2011, and the other part comes from the website sabr.com, which stands for uh, Society for American Baseball Research. So we have other sources also, but basically I definitely want to make a shout out to those two sources before I forget. All right, so Fred Wilpon, he is the primary owner of the New York Mets. And one question that I want us to be thinking about as we do this deep dive into the history of Mr. Wilpon is, in this day and age, what separates the super wealthy dude from the rest of us? And I may be coming around to the contention that not that much, that they are living check to check almost the same way that we are. The only difference is that those checks are way, way bigger than the checks that we're living by week to week, day to day, month to month. 
And that's got something to do with this loggerhead that we're at about whether or not MLB is going to get restarted. So, Fred Wilpon was born in Benton Hooks, Brooklyn in 1936. Wilpon's father, Nat, owned and managed a funeral home on Coney Island. Wilpon tells stories about his dad taking him on walks on Coney Island, which is where he developed his love of baseball. As a uh, recently as 2011, Wilpon was quoted as saying how he wished the Mets would play in a stadium that looked like Ebbets Field. And apparently, some people believe that City Field is based on Ebbets Field. It is. It, it's it not, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's confirmed. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, um, Wilpon handed the contractor the blueprints of Ebbets Field and said, we want the front and the rotunda to look exactly like this. And he actually came under a lot of fire. We're getting ahead of ourselves. No, but no, that's okay. <clears throat> he came under fire by Mets fans because when the stadium opened in 2009, you walk in through the front and it was all like Dodgers memorabilia. Brooklyn Dodgers. Brooklyn Dodgers memorabilia. Yeah. <laughs> and people were really pissed about it. Um, and, you know, it was like a whole homage to Jackie Robinson. It wasn't, you know, his heart wasn't necessarily. The Mets fans were pissed um, because it really, it looked like you were walking into a Dodgers stadium. Right, Dodgers East. Right, Dodgers East. Yeah. In high school at Lafayette High School in Brooklyn, Wilpon played baseball on the same team as Sandy Koufax. He went on to college at the University of Michigan on a baseball scholarship where he pitched his freshman year, but he blew out his arm before the start of his sophomore season. In 1972, Wilpon formed Sterling Equities, a commercial real estate development company with his brother-in-law, Saul Katz, who's going to be a recurring character in this story. Katz is still uh, Fred Wilpon's business partner, with the Mets, and Katz is the Mets' current president. The two of them made money through purchasing real estate in parts of the country, most notably a housing development in Terrytown outside of New York City that had favorable tax treatments. Says Saul Katz, because we had built condos, the money we were making was taxed as ordinary income. So in order to protect against paying the tax, we started traveling all over the country, buying what we thought were tax shelters. That is low-value real estate, essentially. Real estate that they thought they were going to lose money on. More or less unwittingly, Sterling uh, Equities was buying real estate at the bottom of the market. Says Katz, the tax shelters turned into cash cows. Now, I just wanted to point out, this is the same way that Donald Trump makes his money. You buy real estate, and then you either undervalue or overvalue it, depending on what the tax uh, policies are in that part of the country that you're buying that real estate. So you don't end up paying taxes on it at all. Exactly. Yeah. You either undervalue it, in which you claim a loss, right. or you overvalue it, in which you get additional income from the rent and, right. and mortgage, I assume. Or, yeah. Right. Which yeah. it's important to, to remember that this is their business policy when we start talking about how much debt the Mets are supposedly in. 
like the the the, the issue of debt is going to come up again and again. Yeah. In the story. yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, so we're, we're we have this guy Will Ponce, a huge baseball fan, had his dreams of the major league shattered with his elbow, um, and he's a big real estate guy in New York. In 1980, Wilpon and Katz bought a 1% share in the New York Mets for $1.3 million. And Wilpon, who had organized the group of investors that included book publisher Nelson Doubleday, purchased the Mets from the Payson family. Uh, the Payson family, the original owner of the Mets was, uh, what's her name? Jake, Joan? Joan? Yeah, Joan Payson. Joan Payson, who owned the Mets from their inception um, until her death in 1975. It was a little just background. Uh, and then her husband bought all of her shares and distributed them throughout the family. Um, he wasn't interested in baseball. And their daughter, I guess, became the uh, operations. Right. But uh, the matriarch, the, jo- Joan, who loved baseball, and she was the first female owner of MLB franchise. Right. Um, and the Mets, after her death, went into a steady decline. So, right. again, the Mets, they bought the Mets at the bottom of the market. They were, like, in last place in 1980 when they were bought. Oh, oh, Katz and, and Will Pond. Right. Yes. Will Pond orchestrated the buying of the Mets at the bottom of their value. Like right. they, I think that that year, or 1979, the Mets... Uh, had their lowest home attendance ever at oh, 700,000 fans at home games. That would be an interesting story. I'd like to know more about that. Going to a Mets game in Queens in 79. Right. At the bottom of the Mets market and kind of at the bottom of the New York City market. Also. Yeah. Yeah, you probably just like got mugged. <laughs> Like they took your ticket and then they like took your wallet also. Right. But the Yankees, like, the Yankees were really good. That was the Reggie Jackson Yankees. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so moving on, they purchased in 1980. Um, the total cost of the franchise in 1980 was 21.1 million dollars, uh, which was a record for Major League Baseball at the time. Doubleday Publishing owned 90%, 95% of the team and on uh, 95% of the team. On November 14, 1986, Wilpon and Katz bought a 50% share of the team um, for $81 million. So, so this is directly yeah. after they had won the World Series. Yeah. Um, and there was a um was this was this when they had to he had a uh, right of refusal for the sale of right yeah and this is yeah this is a uh, I'm I don't, I'm going to probably get some details of the story wrong but essentially Doubleday which was uh you know historical american publishing company was selling to a german publishing company all of their assets so they were going to sell Doubleday publishing and everything that Doubleday Publishing owned, which included 95% of the New York Mets. 
But in his contract, Fred Wilpon and Saul Cat, through their company, Sterling Equities, had the first right of refusal. So they could refuse the purchase or the sale, I should say. They could refuse the sale of the New York Mets to anybody. So the compromise that was laid out was that Wilpon, that the German company bought 0% of the New York Mets. So Doubleday didn't get any of that money. And Wilpon and Katz paid Doubleday $81 million for 50% share of the team. And apparently uh, Nelson Doubleday never forgave Wilpon that because that cost him a lot of money. And Doubleday well, didn't really give a damn about the baseball team. Right. Nelson Doubleday Jr. bought the other 50% Junior. of the team. This is, yeah, this is Nelson Doubleday Jr., yeah. Right. Yeah, Nelson Doubleday Sr. is long dead. Oh. Um, I one, thought that they both bought 50% of the team. In the I, think, I think they... No, no. Uh, maybe you right. My interpretation was they blocked Nelson Doubleday Jr. from selling his share of the team to the Germans, just like in that Simpsons episode when Mr. Burns tries to sell the company to the Germans. Right. Bowen de dem Kraft. Um, the land of chocolate. The land <laughs> My point I wanted to make is that they bought the New York Mets in 1980 for about $20 million. And the Mets, at minimum, are valued at $2 billion now. So that's a 10 times 10. That's a 1,000% increase in value in 40 years. Like, what other thing could you have purchased in 1980 that would increase in value by 1,000%? I don't know. A lot of real estate, I feel like. Do you think so? That's what I'm, that's what I'm curious about. I don't yeah. know about that. Okay, keep going with the story. Okay. <clears throat> Moving on with the story. Uh According to the New Yorker, during the 1980s, Fred Wilpon became feared and respected as a New York real estate mogul. However, he ran the Mets as a break-even organization, sometimes making money, sometimes losing money. Um, and they, like the Mets, they won in 1986, right? And expectations were sky high when Wilpon forced himself to buy the team at the end of the 1986 season. Yes. Um, Presumably, the Mets' value would never be higher than at that moment. Right. The Mets, like, tanked after that. Um, and that team, which was so good, like, Dwight Gooden, their star, went into drug rehab the next year. Like, everyone had substance abuse problems and Dale Strawberry played for the Springfield Isotopes. Went to, for the Isotopes and just had his entire psyche shattered. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I keep bringing up the Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so from like 86 on, they basically, like they went to the World Series in 2000 and lost. Um, and they went in 2015 and lost. And also lost. 
But yeah. there like hasn't been a lot of sustained competitiveness in between those times. Right. One question I had, or one point I wanted to make about this aspect is that we talked last week about Ted Wicket or Tom Wicket's the owner of the Chicago Cubs complaining about how all the money goes back into Cubs. Right. And this I wanted to highlight as an example of, well, yeah, that's the idea. Fred Wilpon was making his money on his real estate investments in Manhattan. Right. Like he was treating the Mets as a toy. Right. But it's a toy that like appreciates in value like exponentially. Right. Because that, you know, that what he invested in total, he invested like less than $200 million in the team. I mean, to buy the team. Right. He's paid $200 million. And the team's now worth almost $3 billion. Right. So. That's amazing. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I guess teams will probably not gain much in value this season, but the values keep going up. Well, and that's something we should get back. Let's, let's, let's uh, pigeonhole that conversation. For the right. end of this one, because that's going to be very important. Right, because we yeah. haven't even gotten to the reason why Fred Wilpon fucking sucks so hard. Because <laughs> right. right now he's just like a regular New York. He's just a. He, I'm just a rich real guy. estate he, mogul. Yeah, yeah. He's just a rich guy who like who grew up loving baseball. Right. I I think that's something I'm interested in. If we yeah. do more of these episodes, who are the guys who grew up? Loving the Brooklyn Dodgers and just wanting, you know, like Bernie Sanders loves the Brooklyn Dodgers. Right. Because he's so old. Because he's so old. (laughs) But who are the guys who are like, "Eh, I just have $200 million to burn. I might as well, I might as well buy the Cleveland Indians. I don't know. Sure. Why not? Right. Buy the Cleveland Indians, run them into the ground, then become the president. Exactly. <laughs> All right. If so you can't begin- run a sports franchise, you could probably run America. Be the president. <laughs> Beginning right. in 1985. So, oh, wait, good. Well, no, that, I was just going to say, like, right now, you know, he doesn't suck so bad. That's all I'm saying. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In this telling. He's like a rich fan who bought a team. Right. Yeah. That's like the American dream, right? That, that's what everybody thinks they can do is like stumble back asswards into fucking a ton of money because they buy really cheap real estate that then becomes extremely valuable and then buy a baseball team, right? Right. (laughs) Son of a funeral homeowner, you know? Exactly. Yeah. He, I mean, he's technically a self-made man. Right. Yeah. Right. So anyway, Beginning in 1985, Sterling Equities, still run by Wilpon and Katz, became involved with a certain financial investor and advisor that you may know named Bernie Madoff. Right. Not to be confused with Bernie Sanders. No relation. No relation. This relationship lasted for almost 20 years. And on December 11th, 2008, we're going to do a little time jumping on here, so follow us. The day that Madoff's money management business 
was revealed to be the largest Ponzi scheme in American history. Will Pond and his partner stake was listed at $550 million. The point of that is that Sterling Equities, Will Pond's company, was probably the largest number one investor in Madoff's uh, Ponzi scheme. Right. But that, okay, you got to break that down, though. Okay. Um, because they, like, people associated with Sterling Equities, it's not just like Sterling Equities had right. invested $500 million. It was the Wilpon family, the Katz family, uh, the Sterling Equities um, hedge fund or whatever it is that's doing their investments. And then, like, a whole lot of employees of Sterling Equities. At the time of the Ponzi scheme crumbling, uh, people, like, there was over 500 accounts associated with Sterling Equities that uh, were investing in the Bernie Madoff investment group. And so, that 500 accounts out of a total of, like, 4,000 or something, like, like a yeah, quarter yeah. of the total, or not a quarter, an eighth of the total accounts were associated right. with Sterling Equities. Right. And so what's important about that number, though, is that um, that wasn't all just Will Pond's money. It was a lot of the employees of Sterling Equities right. um, and their family members. And so the, the important part, wait, are we going to get to this? It's important to mention, like, right now, I think, that Will Pond and Katz personally took over $300 million out of the Bernie Madoff investment firm to make investments in their own businesses. And so, that was largely their employees' money. Yeah, I mean, it was Ponzi scheme money. It was like their employees' money and also everybody else's money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, good point. Okay. Here, yes. Now, now to hear uh, Madoff tell it, Fred Wilpon never had any idea that a profit that he was making was via a massive illegal pyramid scheme. And this is where we, the audience, need to make a judgment call. Is Madoff telling the truth? And is Fred Wilpon just a gullible sap? Or is Madoff covering for his longtime business partner for whom he helped make approximately $700 million over at least 18 years? According to lawyer Irvin Picard, who we'll get to again later, Will Bunn and Katz, quote, willfully turned a blind eye to every objective in indicator of fraud before them. Right. I think that it's important to just reiterate the point that Will Pond and Katz made money on the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme. Yeah, like, this is the thing. Like the, everybody lost all of their money, and the Wilpons made money on the Ponzi scheme. Well, and the question, uh, like, first of all, read that New Yorker article from 2011. It's really fucking interesting. Yeah, I, I, and I like Wilpon keeps coming up and being like, "I was duped." Right. And, like, that's his answer. Like, his best answer is, I'm stupid. And right. I don't know what's going on. Right. But, 
he also said initially in this that he had lost $700 million. Which is a lot. Right? Uh-oh. That was a bad time to short out, man. <clears throat> That now you're back. Okay. <laughs> you left me on a cliffhanger. That was a Where? terrible cliffhanger. Okay. So the last thing I heard you say was that uh uh Wilpon said that he lost seven hundred million dollars. Right. They that's what they initially reported to Major League Baseball is that they had lost right. seven hundred million dollars in the Ponzi scheme. Um, but SEC investigation indicated that that was not true. And then Wilpon was like, oh, no, actually, we only lost $300 million. It turns out that they actually made $300 million on this Ponzi scheme, which, right. led, them, which led them to be sued by the trustee Irving Picard, which as an aside, sounds like a character from a steampunk novel. Irving Ooh, Picard. Yeah, right. Like Captain <laughs> Irving like, Picard. That is not yeah. a real name. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, have the, I have the love child of uh, Jean-Luc Picard. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn. Who wrote uh, the Headless Horseman thing? Washington Irving. Irving. No. Washington Irving. Dr. J? Dr. J. Yeah. <laughs> um, Right. He's like a, you know, gunslinging musket ball detective with a steam powered hydraulic leg. You know oh, what I mean? Like, we have to add this guy to a goddamn novel. <laughs> yeah. Irving Picard. What the fuck? Right. He's so really good at basketball. We're going to get more into that later because there was a lawsuit brought against them. But right. we're going to get in that soon. That's coming yeah. up next. Yeah. Right. An important milestone to talk about before then is that in 2002, uh, Sterling Equities bought the rest of the Mets from Nelson Doubleday Jr. in 2002 um, for $180 million. Yeah. And they, um, they initially tried to put together an investment package with a bunch of other investors, all of whom backed out because of 9-11. Yes. Um, so they bought it all themselves. Um, and that was a really, another really contentious sale because they had a uh, independent um, assessor, like assess the value of the Mets. Uh, and in the contract, like Doubleday Jr. had to, uh, couldn't put take bids from the open market. He had to sell to Wilpon if he wanted to buy it. And in the eighties, you mean? No, this is in two thousand two. Okay. And he felt like the independent assessor and Major League Baseball were screwing him out of money 
and forcing the value of the Mets down. Um, and uh, he actually brought a lawsuit against Major League Baseball, which he ended up dropping. Uh, but <clears throat> it was a really contentious sale, and he felt like he got strong-armed strong -armed out of hundreds, like a, a lot of millions of dollars. Cause Ooh, and who was MLB commissioner in 2002? Is that Seeley? Bud, yeah. Yeah. Buddy. yeah. Old buddy boy. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read the next couple of paragraphs. Uh, these are quotes from a New York Times article about um, the dealings with Madoff. So listen closely. Yeah. Details about Katz's close relationship with Madoff were revealed as part of a lawsuit filed against him in 2011 by the court-appointed trustee recovering money from Madoff's victims. The trustee, Irving H. Picard. Right. Private <laughs> detective with a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. And a steam-powered heart pump. Right. And, like, a cannon on. Yeah. And like a talking bird sidekick, probably. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Said that cats had routinely, routinely used money from Madoff's fund to finance businesses and to deepen his and Wilpon's personal wealth. The owners won their legal battle with Picard. <laughs> I just see Jean Picard. I don't know why. When he abandoned hundreds of millions of dollars in claims against them. But cats and Wilpon had agreed to let Picard use $178 million of the money they lost in some of their Madoff accounts to pay back the trustee for the $162 million in fictitious profits that they received from other accounts. Why is this important? Well, actually, I feel like the wording in that article is actually really confusing. They yeah. said it was a settlement. Yeah, it was a settlement. Like, yeah. They, the initial lawsuit was for $300 million, which was then jacked up to a billion dollars. And then they finally ended up settling for $178 million. Right. In which they didn't have to pay back for four years. Which is a good deal. They got a sweet right. deal for that. Yeah. yeah. Considering um, that, considering that Katz and Wilpon made money from the Madoff scheme, right? Yeah, right. Um, I mean, and the whole thing is like very suspicious, right? Because like they were like caught up in, they were at the heart of the Madoff Ponzi scheme, a Ponzi scheme in which everybody involved lost everything they had, right? Um, and they, like, initially were like, oh, we're going to lose the Mets. We're going to have to sell the Mets. And the league was like, we're going to have to force you to sell the Mets. Um, and they're like, we can't. Like, they cut their payroll. They cut their uh, staff by 10%. They cut their payroll by, like, $50 million a year or something. Um, which, you know, in 2002, $50 million a year doesn't sound like a ton of money in 2020. Right. Uh, but in 2002, it was like a lot of money. Um, and then uh, it was this whole thing. And they, within three years, I think, 
excuse me, within three years, signed David Wright to the largest deal <laughs> in history. Right. So it's this whole thing, this whole like incredible financial scandal that they're in the middle of. And they take a loan for $25 million from Major League Baseball. They take another loan for $40 million from a different group um, to cover day-to-day expenses because they claim that they're flat broke. And meanwhile, they're borrowing money against their, um, against their uh, television station, SNY. SNY. Uh, and, and claiming like all of this, like basically crying broke. Right. Um, and yet nothing, like they continue to operate as the normal right. baseball team. Right. So. Man, you just made me really mad. <laughs> it's all bullshit, Joel. That's what I'm saying. Well, it is all bullshit because, again, like you, like he's running his company check by check. And, right. and, Supposedly. And claiming poverty and getting bailed out by Major League Baseball. Or getting bailed out because of his Ponzi schemes. Right. And then he never suffers any consequences. Right. Yeah. Ooh. Of course, the Madoff scheme was not the only Ponzi scheme that... <laughs> this is my favorite part, though. This is my favorite part, right? <laughs> I love this story. Yeah. The Madoff scheme was not the only Pond scheme that Will Pond and Katz got entangled with. So here's an argument that Will Pond is not crafty. He's an idiot, right? right? That's the question that I haven't been able to figure out. Is he a crook or is he a dumbass? He's definitely a crook. And but possibly the a The question is, like, is he, in addition to being a crook, a dumbass? Right. Because <laughs> he's definitely a crook. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know... Settled out of court, whatever. He's a crook. He's a crook. He's a fucking crook. In July of 2008, Sterling Equities had to pay back nearly $13 million when a hedge fund that they had invested in turned out to also be a Ponzi scheme that was revealed in 2005. Even though this is a fraction of the money that was at stake in the Madoff scandal, it's interesting to note that the fake hedge fund by you hedge fund group was run by a name by a man named Samuel Israel III from Terrytown, New York. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, now I'm gonna yeah. this- well, and this is my favorite part of this story. Yeah. Um, if I can read this next. Yeah, paragraph. yeah. This is mostly because, from Wikipedia. Right. This yep. is this is great. This, this is great. Like, this is great. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to read it, and then I'm going to tell you why I think it's so great. Yeah. Sentenced in April 2008 to 20 years in federal prison for running a Ponzi scheme, Israel III failed to report to prison as ordered on June 9, 2008. His 2006 GMC envoy was found abandoned on the Bear Mountain Bridge on June 10, 2008, with the following written in dust on the hood. Suicide is Painless, which is the title of the theme song for both the movie and the TV series, M.A.S.H. Do, 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 do. Yeah. 
It's a great song. Yeah. Police immediately suspected that this was an attempt by Israel to fake his own death in order to avoid prison. Israel's girlfriend, Deborah Ryan, was arrested later that same month for aiding and abetting his escape and was released on bail. Under intense questioning, Ryan admitted to helping him escape and that she and Israel parked an RV loaded with Israel's belongings near Bear Mountain Bridge on the day before his disappearance. The pair was featured in America's Most Wanted. Israel was eventually tracked down to a campground in Granville, Massachusetts, and surrendered to authorities on July 2nd, 2008. As a consequence, he was further sentenced on July 15th, 2009, to, to an additional two years in prison, while his girlfriend was sentenced to three years probation. Israel is serving a sentence at Federal Correctional Institution Brother Buntner Lowe in Buntner, North Carolina. His earliest pop possible release date is September 12th, 2027. <laughs> <laughs> What? what? <laughs> yeah. I, okay. First of all, I, as you know, along with many other people, I'm sure, have thought about like how we would fake our own death if right. we had to, right? Like if something, if shit went down and we had to fake our own death, like how would you do it? You know what I mean? <clears throat> Parking my car on a bridge and writing suicide is painless. <laughs> On the hood, in dust, is not how I. Not how you. Like, so <laughs> do, you, do you think that he jumped off the bridge? Is that what he's trying to get them to think? Right. Yeah, he's trying yeah. to get them that he jumped off the bridge. Um, yeah. I assume. I I don't know. Yeah. Um. I if I was okay. Let's see. If I was writing the script. For an episode of Law and Order SVU right. about a guy who tried to fake his own death and was tracked down within the length of a 45-minute TV show, that's right. how I would write it. I would write right. Right. Suicide right. is Painless on the Hood and then drive away in an RV. And drive to immediately, <laughs> Right. Immediately, the, they would be caught. Because, yeah. like, that's the stupidest shit I've ever heard in my life, you know? But you already <laughs> stole $15 million from the guy who owns the New York Mets. Right. Was he the only one caught in that Ponzi scheme? I don't... I, 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 I don't know. I assume no. Right. Um, but the issue is this is, like, a fraction of what Madoff was doing. Right. But it's hilarious because it's this random dude. He didn't even go to college. He's, he is operating the scam out of New Orleans, Louisiana. Like, how do Katz and, and uh, Wilpon get sucked in by this guy? Right. I don't know. Maybe it was, uh, we got to cover our ass in case Bernie gets busted. So, so we're, we're gonna, exactly like, we're getting scammed by multiple Ponzi's. <laughs> right, exactly. We're gonna like establish that we're fucking suckers for Ponzi schemes. <laughs> right. But I the mean, guy named his hedge fund Bayou Hedge Fund Group. Right. Yeah. I mean, the way Ponzi schemes work, right, is they approach wealthy individuals with credentials, either fake or 
real, like in Bernie Madoff's case, he had very real credentials to make people believe that he was a brilliant investor. Um, yeah. Like, right. Yeah, that's a good point. He, you know, he was a real, he was legit. He, you know, he wrote, he like wrote the SEC guidelines. Like he, you know. He was like co-executive of the New York Stock Exchange. Right. Like, at the highest echelons. Right, exactly. So, yeah. Um, no one is denying that, but you know, but is idiot, you just is like, your... hey, look at look at me. This is what I do. Like, give me money, and I'm going to show you returns. Yeah, yeah. Which he did. That the whole yeah. point is that he did that for at least twenty years for uh, Will Pond and Cats. Right. Like he made good with them. Like it was a it was a Ponzi scheme. It was a pyramid scheme. But they made good on it. Right. That's the issue. They actually made out. They were at the top of that pyramid. Right. And we've talked about a lot. Okay, what time is it? 41.52. Okay, let's crank this up to the Mets right now. Yeah, because we're getting into the... So we've, we've covered the first third... Of the rise of Fred Wilpon, and then we covered kind of the second third of the scandals and scams that he got involved with. Right now, the the end of this story is going to be about the the state of the New York Mets today. Which right. Is not good. Okay, so do you want to take this, or you want me to? You take it. Okay. So as of last year. Uh, the New York Mets and uh, their affiliate television station, SNY, are allegedly bleeding money. Over the course of the 2018-2019 seasons, the Mets lost a total of $120 million. Um, a deal with Steve Cohen, who was a, he's a hedge fund guy, right? He's a hedge fund guy, and he is right now a minority owner. Right, a minority yeah. owner, along yeah. with Bill Maher. Apparently, you said that. Yeah. I haven't. Are you sure about that? Fact check me. I'm gonna fact check you because I mean, like if, if Bill Maher is gonna buy stock in any goddamn team, it's gonna fucking be the Mets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Steve Cohen is a, a head fund manager, also. Right. Uh, so team for two point six billion dollars, which is two hundred million dollars above their. Forbes value, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and in February, the deal fell through. Cohen apparently walked away from the deal when he refused to give Wilpon controlling interest of the team for five more years. Right. The Mets are losing money and are in a mountain of debt. Uh, $350 million on the team and around $450 million on SNY. They're... Uh, TV affiliate. So that's uh, $800 million in debt. Right. So you got a value of $2.4 billion and you've got debt of, let's say, $800 million. Right. Like, how badly have you mismanaged this baseball team? I mean, not badly enough. You're still looking to clear $1.8 billion on the sale. And, And here's my question. 
are you getting the, the next sucker in line to take losses? Right. Is is the new ownership going to take on some of that debt? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, they would have to, right? They'd have to. They'd have to, yeah. So it's like, you know, it's like the Bernie Madoff scheme. Yes. Where the will ponds are like claiming to be victims, but in fact, they're cleaning up legally. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Keep going on this, that because this you time, right. this time yeah. legally. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week where ownership is like oh yeah no we don't have any money like we're not making any money on these baseball teams but in fact they're just it's like their money is sitting there they're claiming claiming zero profits so they don't have to pay taxes and the value keeps going up exponentially but the debt that's where we have to tie it all together is that's also about debt so you you're saying Look, I'm not making any income from this baseball team, but the value keeps going up. I keep going into debt to support it, but the value, which is some kind of squishy idea, keeps going up exponentially. So a team that I bought 10 years ago for $200 million, I can sell today for $2 billion. Right. Even though I didn't do anything to make it more profitable. Right. Quite, As of 2012, Bill Wallace claimed he was a 4% owner in the Mets. Told you. Yeah, I didn't doubt you. I just wanted to check you. <laughs> <laughs> he owns one share. <laughs> I which is about 4% apparently. Uh, so what do you do? Well, like, like, I mean, the, the owners are in a win-win situation. That's the thing that's so enraging right now. That you can be as incompetent of an owner as Fred Wilpon. Right. And Fred Wilpon tries. Yeah. yeah. Or like at points in his career has tried. So we, we haven't talked about the 2015 World Series. They made it to the 2015 World Series. They yeah. lost to that juggernaut, the Kansas City Royals. Yeah. But the dynasty. The dynasty. <laughs> but they made it. Right. And they made it in 2000. Like, they've been to the World Series twice in the past 20 years. Or Which is better, years. yeah, yeah. Which is better than most teams can say, right? Yeah. Huh. Better than, yeah. A lot of teams. A lot of teams. Seattle, Denver, so, San Diego, Seattle, Oakland, Arizona, Arizona. Texas is 0-1, I think, in that time. I think they went twice. Miami? No, dude. They beat the Yankees in 0-3. Right, but they haven't been back. 
Yeah, but they've got a W. I think getting a W in the World Series is worth something. It is, but it's like not like like the Mets have been more successful over consistently. Time yeah, than the than yeah. Miami. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. he's incompetent and definitely a crook. And that's, and, why, yeah. and that's why he sucks. And that's why your owner sucks. Yeah, Mets fans. Mets your owner sucks. Your owner sucks. A uh, very interesting conversation. I hope you found it interesting. I, I found it interesting. Uh, yeah. These are all tied together, and I think we should keep talking about that, especially in what we're dealing with today with... A, the end of times, and B, the lockdown between our billionaire owners and our millionaire players. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to go back. My favorite thing about the Ponzi scheme, the second Ponzi scheme, the Bayou investment, is like this guy was driving a 2006 GMC Envoy, (laughs) which is like that really big, like bigger than a suburban (laughs) SUV, right? Right. Yeah. How did this guy get to New Orleans? I want to know. Excuse me. I want to know that story. Right. I also want to know, like, did the Wilpons know that he was driving a GMC Envoy when they invested $13 million with them? Because if someone came up to me That's and was like, hey, give me $13 million, and I would be like, what kind of car are you driving? And if it's a fucking GMC, then I'm not going to give him my money. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's not a cheap car, but, you know, it's you know, it's probably like a $30,000 car in 2006, something like that. You know what I mean? True, true. <sighs> like, why would they invest in this guy? Well, he probably didn't he probably like rented a ferrari or something when he went to meet with them you know in queens right in queens yeah (laughs) huh all right well maybe this is an unsatisfying conclusion but it's not it's not i feel like we proved that they suck yeah, this owner sucks. This owner sucks. That is the only conclusion in this segment. The only possible conclusion. Is the title of the segment. The title of the right. segment is Your Owner Sucks. Right. Your commands. Your owner right. sucks. And you know, he's had some success. Like Mets fans yeah. have some memories, you know? Right. Um but, like, also a lot of, like, dissatisfaction, I feel like. I feel like the Mets franchise yeah. has never kind of shaken their, well, what are you going to do? Like, we, we're terrible, you know, sort of. Well, like, they're the number two team in town. They're always going to be the number two team in town, even right. if they're more successful than the Indians. Right. Like how like how do you be the LA Clippers? How do you be the White Sox? Like the White Sox have that problem. How do you be the Anaheim When when the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants left New York, New York ceased to be a National League town. Yeah. And try as they might, it's never gonna be a National League town again. Right. Yeah. 
And the Yankees have like five championships or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah, just ask any Yankees fan. They'll tell you exactly how many. Uh, it's like six, six, between four and six, I forget. Right. Yeah. Like they four, won. four or six this, you know, in the past hundred years. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sam, you got any last words? Uh, I don't know. No. Well, we're at like 53 minutes right now. We got a good stopping point. Yeah. I that, I think we've covered covered enough ground. Yeah. I hope you uh, didn't talk about, about Jeff Wilpon, though. We could talk about him. We could do an addendum. Uh, uh, we, could do an, we could do a whole episode on Jeff Wilpon. Yeah. yeah. Um, let me know if y'all listen to this episode. Let me know if, if there are certain um, owners you want us to talk about. Because all owners suck. Maybe to yeah. different degrees, but they all suck. Yeah. Um, I really want to do a Ricketts episode, but I want to do it right. Um, dude, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars sucks. I got, we, we should do that one soon. The owner of the Dallas Cowboys sucks. I know I'm listing non baseball owners. Right. What baseball owners suck? Jerry Reinsdorf sucks. He does. I don't know who that is. White Sox and Bulls. Uh, we could do that guy who owns all of the Buffalo teams. Yeah. Oh, that but he died, fun. I guess. Did he die? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jerry Jones. Whoever, like, protects Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, that would be an interesting one because I think um, the Hines family is beloved by Pittsburgh, but they have definitely protected uh, Roethlisberger. Right. Back against some blowback. That might be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, all right, I'm going to sign this off. Uh, thank you so much for listening. This has been Dump on the Ump. This has been Your Owner Sucks. The New York Mets, Fred Wilpon. He got sucked into Ponzi schemes. He used it as an excuse to suck more money out of Major League Baseball. And now he is using some weak-ass excuses to not sell the team. Tell us what you think. Uh, at Dump on the Ump on Twitter. You can find it on Facebook, Dump on the Ump. You can email me, Dump on the Ump at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on Apple iTunes, give us a rating, a review, five stars, please, or not. I don't care. Uh, you can also check us out on SoundCloud or Spotify. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, for Sam, my name is Joel. Ladies and gentlemen, have a good evening and a pleasant tomorrow. Yeah, I kind of want to do a whole episode about that Louisiana hedge fund shit. Like, that's a two detective episode. You got